Gunpei Yokoi was one of the very first video game designers for Nintendo. As a game designer, he would create the first worldwide success for Nintendo in the video game market. He noticed a commuting salaryman mindlessly playing with the buttons on his calculator, giving him the idea for a watch that could also play a video game. This would result in the creation of the Game & Watch in 1980, a handheld device with an LCD display that had a built-in clock as well as a single video game. Over 60 different variations of the Game & Watch were produced, and the series would become a huge success, selling over 14 million units in its first year alone. The Game & Watch was just the beginning. In 1981, he was assigned as the project supervisor for the development of a new arcade game and imparted his knowledge of video games to the game's creator, Shigeru Miyamoto would create Donkey Kong, another global sensation for Nintendo. Gunpei Yokoi would go on to produce and design many things at Nintendo, but his most significant project would be a handheld console that would use interchangeable cartridges, a departure from his original idea for the Game & Watch, which could only play one game per device. Development of this handheld was a frustrating process, as many people at Nintendo disagreed with Yokoi's design decisions, including using a dot matrix display over a color one, meaning all games could only be played in black and white. Yokoi subscribed to a philosophy he called lateral thinking with withered technology. He believed that games did not need cutting-edge tech, and that new, expensive technology can be an obstacle in the development of a product. He believed in the mix of using older, more understandable technology, hence wither technology, and finding radical new ways of using that old tech, hence lateral thinking. In short, he was prioritizing fun over flair. Shigesato Itoi, a notable copywriter who would go on to direct a Nintendo-published Mother series, would give the console its name, the Game Boy. The Game Boy was released in Japan on April 21st, 1989, radically altering the video game landscape. Gunpei Yokoi's initial instincts were correct, and the lack of backlight and limited graphical capability made it significantly cheaper than the competition. The Game Boy's introductory price was $89.99 US dollars, whereas the Atari Lynx started at $179.99, the Sega Game Gear started at $149.99, and the Turbo Express started at $249.99. The limited processing power of the Game Boy also made its battery life significantly longer than the competing handhelds. At the end of the day, better lighting and graphics could not defeat affordability in the eye of the average consumer. Another initially controversial aspect that ended up working in favor of the original Game Boy was its bulkiness. It was seemingly indestructible, especially compared to the competition. In fact, a Game Boy owned by a U.S. Army nurse survived a bombing on a bunker during the Gulf War. Though the front of the console was charred from the bombing, the internal processor and display still worked. The Gulf War Game Boy still functions to this day and is currently on display in the Nintendo New York store in Rockefeller Plaza. More important than its price, battery life, and durability, however, was its library of games. A crucial part of Yokoi's philosophy was that the compromises would not be worth it unless the games developed for the Game Boy were actually fun. Fortunately, the games were incredibly popular. Super Mario Land was a passably fun handheld title for gaming's biggest mascot, but the true prize was the game bundled with the Game Boy device itself, Tetris. The Soviet puzzle game, initially developed by Alexei Pajitnov, was given a global audience and became a massive phenomenon. Its simple yet addictive gameplay loop, presented in a portable device, functioned as the perfect thesis statement for the Game Boy. The Game Boy and its future edition, the Game Boy Color, would go on to sell a combined 118.69 million units, making it the fourth best-selling video game console after the Nintendo Switch, the Nintendo DS, 
and the PlayStation 2, which come in third, second, and first, respectively. But beyond that commercial success, the handheld became a small, portable launchpad for some of the biggest franchises in gaming, the most notable one being Pokemon. started in 1996 in Japan as Pokemon Red and Green and as Pokemon Red and Blue elsewhere in 1998. Pokemon launched with multiple versions to encourage players to interact with people who had the other copy of the game to battle and, more crucially, trade so they could collect every creature in the game. This started a multimedia phenomenon with not just countless video games, but also an ongoing anime and manga series, film series, trading card game, and so on. Another franchise that began on the Game Boy was Kirby. The first game in the series, Kirby's Dreamland, was released in 1992 and starred a simple puffball whose cuteness endeared him to millions, even before he would gain the power to copy other people's abilities and slay powerful gods. Kirby had mass appeal. Kirby was for the people. The games, more than anything, secured the legacy of the Game Boy. The incredibly durable plastic casing made it invincible, but its library of games made it immortal. Pokemon is now the highest grossing media franchise of all time. Masahiro Sakurai, the creator of Kirby, went on to direct bigger projects, including the massively popular crossover fighting game series Super Smash Bros. All of this success was made possible because of the Game Boy. Gunpei Yokoi was killed in a traffic accident on October 4, 1997, at the age of 56. Though it's been decades since his death, his influence is still present at Nintendo. In addition to the multiple video game franchises he enabled through his creations, his lateral thinking with withered technology philosophy is still part of Nintendo's creative process today, resulting in the creation of the Nintendo DS, the Nintendo Wii, and the handheld console hybrid, the Nintendo Switch. He was a beloved and respected figure who not only brought massive success to Nintendo, but helped to fundamentally change the landscape of video games. His legacy lives on to this day. In fact, the central gameplay mechanic of the recently released Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom was named after the very first toy Gunpei Akoi designed for Nintendo, the Ultra Hand. I'm Kiefer, and this is Select and Start. Kiefer's a guy who's doing his part to talk about why he thinks that games are art and gush over things that are near to our hearts, so let's select a game and press start. Hello, and welcome to Select and Start, the podcast about meaningful and memorable video games. I'm your host, Kiefer, and every episode I bring on a guest to talk about a video game that made an impact on their life. Today, my wonderful guest is the host of the podcast Play Comics. It's Chris Osborne. Chris, how are you doing today? I am so excited for this. I've been waiting for an excuse to talk about this game, and people always want to talk about other ones in the series, but this one is always going to be the soft spot favorite in my heart. Awesome. And I'm excited to talk to you about it, too, because this isn't the game that people single out in this particular franchise. But before we get into video games at all, I do want you to have the chance to introduce yourself to our audience. Please tell them what you do and what you like. So as Kiefer said, I am Chris Osborne. I host the Play Comics podcast where I grab a guest and we look at video games that are based on comics and talk about how well those games represent that comic source material. So we're not really worrying so much about if the game itself is good or not. Instead, we are looking at how well does Batman Arkham Asylum, for example, represent Batman. 
you know, how well did the Spider-Man games represent Spider-Man, that kind of thing. And sometime in the future or the past, depending on how time works and release schedules, you will be able to hear Kiefer over there. Yeah. Don't know when that'll line up, but hopefully very soon. I mean, I'm very excited because I think that episode turned out really well because I got to talk about a particular video game that meant a lot to me growing up. So we got to be discussing how well it actually interacts with the uh, the medium of video games uh, actually playing as that character. But we also just get to gush about the video game itself, which is which is nice. Talking about your podcast a little bit more, what made you decide to make a podcast about that specifically? My wife and I were sitting around playing Marvel vs. Capcom 2 one day, and in, in the nicest way possible, she told me that I should probably talk to other people that cared, because I was just sitting there like, you know, here's what this character fought this other character, and just all that kind of stuff while we were playing. And I mean, she likes this kind of stuff too. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, she was enjoying it. So it was definitely like you should go do this with other people and not i'm sick of this go do it with other people right so would you say that marvel versus capcom 2 is a game that does sort of match the ethos of your um standard for the show where you're sort of like seeing like how this uh relates to the comics or would you say it's a failure because it doesn't really have the power scaling you'd expect for a video game about superheroes fighting each other that one gets a little bit weird because first off, you have to just completely ignore half the roster because there's all the Capcom stuff. And anytime you have a fighter, you really have to balance things out. Mm -hmm. But if you look at everybody on an individual level, it, it does a pretty good job of representing who those characters are. Okay. Yeah. As long as so it's like more of a spiritual essence more than it is so much like this is accurate to how it happens in the comics narratively or anything like that. Oh, definitely. Because there is no comic story that's going to match up with Marvel versus Capcom. Right. There probably should be, because especially that second one, you've got some pretty interesting characters over on the Capcom side. But as far as Marvel goes, it's just, here's all your cool characters, make them fight. Right. Uh, I mean, I love the Marvel versus Capcom series, especially the second and third one. But I want to talk to you more about just video games in general real quick. Uh, no community likes to gatekeep more than the gamers. So we do have to check your gaming credentials here at the top. Let's talk a little bit about your gaming history. Uh, what got you into it, your relationship with it throughout your life, and so on. What's your portrait of a gamer like? Growing up, there are probably two origin points you could point to for me. One was one of my cousins who had a Genesis, and we would be playing that all the time when we were over at his house. The other one was one of my friends down the street, and he had a Super Nintendo. We didn't really have anything for ourselves for a while, until my parents decided they were going to get us Genesis. And my dad's thought process there was, hey, most of Chris's friends here have a Super Nintendo, so let's get him a Genesis so that he doesn't have all the same stuff. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you agree with that decision, or did you wish he had a Super Nintendo instead? I was going to be happy either way. Okay, that's a good way like, of looking at it. I was happy with my Genesis. I had my friends, and I could go play with the stuff at their house if I really wanted to play a Super Nintendo game. But... You can't go wrong between those two, I don't think. Right. We've had a bunch of, uh, we've had a couple of more Genesis oriented people on the show, which I like because I like to have the different perspectives. Obviously, the SNES was kind of like the big, big thing at the time, but the Genesis had a lot of great games on it. And now you can play them on the Nintendo Switch for yourself. So people can finally access that world. Going a little bit further along, like what, what about lately? Have you been playing any newer video games or does the podcast sort of just keep you stuck in dedicating that video game time to? Just talking about superhero stuff. The podcast really keeps me stuck playing 
things for that. I, I need to make sure that I have some experience with the game that we're going to be talking about. We got Stray last year, and I think we've put like five hours into it, which is ridiculously low. So, I mean, it's a bunch of things that I've gotten on PlayStation sales that really need to get played because I paid for them. That's not supposed to be a console problem. That's a Steam problem. Right. No, the PC gaming problem because the games are invisible and that's also your workstation and it's hard for you to play games where you work. At least that's my problem. But uh, in terms of, uh, you said Stray was one that you got last year? Yeah, we'd like that. Mm -hmm. It's only about six hours long, so like you probably only have a little bit left. Well, I mean, to be honest, we really were spending a lot of that time watching our cat watch the cat that we were in the game. So it's not like we were having a productive five hours. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. What are, what are some other games that you've played lately that aren't uh, superhero related? Recently started up another playthrough of Portal 2, because if you don't do that, like every 10 minutes, it's been too long. And trying to find an RPG that I can sit there and play and then not play for a couple weeks because I don't have time. Really, I'm just tired of starting Final Fantasy VII over again and again and again. Yeah, I get that. I mean, it probably makes sense why the game that you picked was on the Game Boy because that was a console known for having short bursts instead of long, long gaming sessions. That sort of brings me to my next question. What was your favorite video game console overall and why? That's a really tough one. But if I'm going to limit it to things that I had growing up, which is the only way I'm going to be able to make a decision, then I'm going to say PS1. At some point when we moved, my parents decided it was time to sell the Genesis. So they did that. We obviously weren't exactly happy about it, but what are you going to do when your parents say it's time for that thing to go? I was a military kid, so we were moving around every like three or four years. And at one base we were at, my dad was in charge of something, and I don't remember what it was, but it meant that he had to have people coming over to the house for things. So my parents got us a PS1, partly, actually mostly, so my brother and I would sit up there playing games while all these people were over and leave them all alone. <laughs> all right. I did that work? What kind of games are you playing? Oh, it worked out really well. They got us, I forget if it was the first or the second Gran Turismo, because we ended up getting the other one real quick anyway. But the thing that let us know that we were getting that PS1 was my parents didn't think about making sure that we opened the console first. So for Christmas, my brother and I decided, oh, here's some CD shape boxes. We're going to open those, probably CDs. Like, that'll be cool, but we can't really do anything with them while we're opening presents. So we open it up, and there's one of the NBA games. And We don't have a PlayStation, but our parents aren't idiots. So we know there's a PlayStation in there somewhere. Nice. What would you say overall your favorite PlayStation games then, since this is probably your favorite console? We spent a lot of time with Tony Hawk 2. Definitely <laughs> the second one there. The soundtrack, just being able to freestyle everything, but also having the super structure, just depending on what kind of day you're having. Um, there was a lot of whichever NF NBA game it was that we got. I can't remember right now, but we spent a ton of time on that one. And at some point, I got Final Fantasy VII. I got really into that, but that was the beginning of my trek of getting caught up in something and never getting to that third disc. Yeah, so you never finished Final Fantasy VII to this day? I have never even gotten to the third disc. Really? To this day. Yeah. 
that's uh that's wild i mean like on a level like i think a lot of people have that experience because it's obviously the time commitment of it all but that is just like such like the definitive game for the the, the console that it's kind of like hard to wrap my round mind around a little bit it was a lot of uh sports things honestly just having to go to practice for things having to go to games for things just having to do whatever it was to help my dad out with whatever work thing he was doing at the time so you get a few weeks and then i don't know what i'm doing anymore we didn't have any of the guides so i couldn't mark it for myself i wasn't gonna print the thing off of game facts right that's that's more than fair as we talked about in the final fantasy 8 episode with chloe once you are out of the game for more than a few weeks at a time it's just kind of like where do i go what am i doing and games back then obviously didn't have the objective markers or the clear signpost as to where you're supposed to go so you would probably be sol even if you were 20 to 30 hours into an rpg if you didn't remember exactly where you were and what your goal was. So I totally understand. That first disc I could play through like nobody's business. The second one, I have to start paying attention. It's amazing though, because all of my friends growing up, they were pretty much, oh, I love Final Fantasy VII if they played anything like that at all. And they were only talking about first disc stuff. So I wasn't missing out on any of the playground conversations or anything. Sure. You got the essence of uh, what it was like to play Final Fantasy VII on a social level, at least. Which is what really matters, is the, the shared experience. Yep. And of course, a few years ago, my mother-in-law got me the Final Fantasy remake. Nice. So, again, start at that. I'm probably going to have to restart. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of funny because it's only the first six hours of Final Fantasy VII, uh, like what that covers. So, it's not even all of disc one. So, at least you, at least you know what to talk about with people. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be good, though. Like, I'm loving that one so far. It's probably been months since I've been able to touch it, though. I think it's incredible. I'm a huge defender of it. Not defender. It's a well-received game, but I'm a very I'm very into what it's trying to do. And I'm really excited for the future entries. Uh, going back to Tony Hawk a little bit, did you get to play the remake of Tony Hawk 1 and 2 when that came out? I have not gotten to play the remake yet. I, like, I don't even know if they kept a soundtrack in there. I know that would be a licensing nightmare in a lot of ways, but also... That's what Spotify is for. Just turn the sound off on the TV and play the songs there. Fair, but also they did manage. I think they got every single track back, uh, which was very impressive to me because they have like a tribe called Quest on there and things like that. That would probably seem a bit more valuable now with uh, everything. But I also don't know how music licensing works. and I'm just talking out my ass. Maybe it's just like I value that music a lot and I'm just surprised to see it in a video game. They did a good thing because they brought back the original two soundtracks and they also incorporated some new stuff in there. To mixed effect, I always make a point of skipping the Machine Gun Kelly song when it comes up, but those first two game soundtracks are still pretty unimpeachable to me, so I, I, I enjoy it. I like to play those at work, and then everybody's asking me, why are you playing all those songs together? What? It's a video game soundtrack? <laughs> yeah. There's also the conversation of like HR coming in and saying, hey, you can't play Police Truck at work anymore. Don't do that. All right, so a funny story about that. Okay. <laughs> I work at a lumber yard, and so... We're pretty slack with a lot of things. The speakers that I have at work, they're solid. You're not going to go around bragging about them. And if I turn them all the way up, you know, I could definitely have people all around the building I'm in tell me to turn it down. But I've got them aimed and everything perfectly at my desk. Like the person right on the other side of the cubicle wall can't hear what I'm listening to at all. Okay. Then that's the perfect setup then because you can literally listen know, to it. It's everyone. great. But the way it is, my back is to where we keep all the sales tickets and everything. And one day I'm decided I'm going to listen to 
the Frog Leaps Frog Leap Studios guy and all of his metal covers. So I don't think anything of it. I'm playing. It's not a big deal. I kind of take a peek at what songs are coming up. I'm like, yeah, I like most of these ones. It's going to be good. And then somebody has a question and I get called away from my desk and it's probably like 20, 30 minutes that I'm out and I get back and I look at the playlist again and oh crap, somebody else is talking to some customers about some big old fancy door they want to get. And it definitely played his version of WAP. Oh God. <laughs> I was told later though that it was low enough and nobody heard it. All right, then that's good. That's good because uh, I'd be mortified. I would be mortified. So speaking a bit about video games and music for a second, are there any video game specific soundtracks, not just licensed music uh, stuff from like Tony Hawk games or Grand Theft Auto or whatever, but just like regular old video game music that you listen to in your spare time? Yes, but it's almost a cheater answer because I like to listen to a lot of the Power Glove stuff, Mm -hmm. a lot of the Mega Driver stuff. So it's still kind of somebody else doing it. It's not necessarily straight from the games. but you know, it's still the songs from the games. I count that. That 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 for sure counts. Any particular favorites of those that you like? The Power Glove Zelda is great. The Power Glove Transformers, which I realize isn't necessarily a video game, but their Transformers is my alarm in the morning, mostly because it starts off with rain. So if I'm awake, I can hurry up and turn the alarm off. Nice. Battle Combat for the Mortal Man. Like if you need to get going, pop that on. You're set. All right. I'll definitely have to look into that one then. We've been talking about games that you've played recently, some games that you played growing up. Is there anything coming out in the future that you're excited about playing? Are they still releasing games? They always are, unfortunately. It's a problem. (laughs) This is how bad it is with me. I know that sports games are going to be coming out because they always are. I know that there's a new Zelda coming out, but I can't remember the name of it and I haven't bothered to watch the trailer yet because we haven't really done much in Breath of the Wild, because my wife can't handle the camera work on that. So it's got to be short bursts. Like, I honestly don't have any idea what's coming out. Suddenly, now that I'm talking about like, hey, what's coming out that you're looking forward to, that I just, my brain suddenly goes dead. There is the new uh, Jedi Star Wars game coming out next week. So Jedi, Jedi Survivor, that's happening. I don't know if you played Jedi Fallen Order at all, but that was a game that I liked. I've sat in the room while other people played it. Watching them do it was fun. Yeah, if there's nothing, uh, there's Hades too. I don't know if you played the original Hades. Just a lot of sequels and remake stuff coming out, really. Hades too. then, I'm probably going to jump into that. Like, I've been back and forth on whether I should get Hades or not. Mm-hmm. And so I'll probably just jump straight to two. I would say that everybody in the world should play Hades, the first one, because it's incredible. And we don't quite know when the second one's coming out yet. And if anybody has a free few minutes, it's very, it's very conducive to short burst gaming because it's... um. It's a roguelike. So you put in your 20 minutes, you die. If you want to leave it there, you can. Or if you want to play 80 more rounds, you can You can also do that. It's it's wonderful for me. Well, then I'm going to slightly amend my answer. And if it's not out in the next three weeks, I'm going to say, screw that. I'm done waiting. Let's go for Hades. No, Hades is legit one of the best games of all time. Everybody, again, everyone should play it. Uh, you've been mentioning your wife a lot in relation to your video game consumption. Is she one who plays video games with you all the time when you do use it for leisure time? Or are there things that she plays by herself? What's that like? She's more into the puzzles game side of things, but she grew up in a family that her grandparents would get all the families a console. Like we've still got hers, not the Super Nintendo, the Nintendo 64. She won't let me cut the tabs on it to play Japanese games, though. 
which kind of sucks. You know, we've we've got to have other ones just so I can do that. We had her Super Nintendo games for a while. We've had a few of her other things, and she has a lot of the same tastes that I do. So a lot of times she's sitting there with me while I'm playing the games, doing research for play comics, like mm-hmm. point things out with me. Yeah. Would you do you do the co-op, co-op with uh, Portal 2 with her? As much as she could handle, mm-hmm. we did. But she definitely, like, that's the kind of one where she sat through it probably longer than she should have, just with the motion sickness stuff. And then we would stop and, you know, let her get back to where she needed to be and then instantly start back playing up again. I appreciate you giving me that uh, answer. I know a lot of people, you know, when you're sharing the living space, you kind of got to do things more communally. You know, like I try and get my roommate into video games a bunch and he is more casual about it. Like he'll play Pokemon, he'll play Kirby. But in terms of like getting them to play like a like a full on RPG, that's that's too much of a, a time commitment for him. But he's very content to watch. Like he was very much enjoying me watching me play Final Fantasy VIII uh, as a recent example. I wish I could get Kaylee to play RPGs. She can't handle turn based combat at all, which sucks because I love it. Like she'll sit there while I'm playing. And she'll enjoy the story parts of it, but she'll also sit there and then pull her phone out or something in a fight. She sees it all as, oh, I don't want to just select things from a list and let math happen. Sure. But there's also the motion sickness thing about using like a 3D arena fighting. So there seems to be like a very limited number of games that are at least coming out that are mainstream popular that she would be able to fully enjoy. Hence why we have all the retro systems. Fair play. In some ways, they're a lot more welcoming to beginner gamers than new stuff. And in a lot of ways, uh, new st- it's, 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 it's interesting, right? Because everything's a lot of tutorializing because there's the concern that you want as many people to play your game as possible and not just give up in the first 10 minutes. But there's also not a lot to prepare somebody for the very basic act of like using two analog sticks. So they have to learn how to like interact with the camera and the person at the same time. But then like you play a retro video game and it's hard as shit because these games are super short. And you had to get as much playtime out of them as possible. And the other thing a lot of people don't think about is they're not making them for 20, 30 years in the future where all you have is the game cartridge. They're making them for somebody's going to go out and buy that. They've got the game manual. You can read through the manual and see what's going on. So the game itself, they didn't really want to waste a lot of resources putting tutorials in the game because that's actual gameplay that they literally would have had to cut out so you throw a bunch of story stuff in the manual you throw a bunch of instructions in the manual you know people are going to read it i don't know about you but i was definitely one of those kids that was busting the game open on the way home and starting to read through the manual before we even left the parking lot that was a weird kid i would take man i would take manuals to school with me because it's just like i'm not going to pay attention in class i have undiagnosed adhd so i'm just gonna just flip through these and look at the pretty artwork and try and learn something about the game yeah, so many teachers getting mad that I was reading ahead in the reading book. Yeah, that definitely did that a bunch with like Star Wars books as a kid. It was great. I'm glad that I got out of high school and stuff before cell phones were allowed to be used in classrooms because if that happened, that would have ruined my life. I would have been like, I'm already addicted to my phone as it is. I am right there with you on that. It's a problem. Okay, so before we talk about the video game that you picked for our main discussion, I wanted to give you the opportunity to tell us about some other games that mean a lot to you. I've been on another show with a similar idea to this one. And part of the reason I was really excited to talk to you here was that one is booked out like super months in advance. And so I wouldn't have had an opportunity to talk about that game with him. 
that one I went on and talked about The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. When my parents got me a Game Boy, this was before we had the Genesis, before we had anything else for Christmas one year. It was the Game Boy, Link's Awakening, and Tetris, because that was the pack-in game still, because I'm an old man. And I ran the batteries out on that thing twice that first day. <laughs> Probably got like 20 minutes of gameplay into the game, because I was just wandering around the map. But Link's Awakening is always going to be like my favorite Zelda game. That one is just one that makes perfect sense to me. I love it so much. It's so small that you don't have to really have a guide for most of it. You can tell that there's in-jokes going on, but they're not done in a way that you have to understand. Even for me, somebody who had never really played Link to the Past, you know, you could tell it, there was just something special about this, but it was just a really small part of a greater Zelda world. Yeah, no, that's very wonderfully put. Link's Awakening is a very impressive game for a lot of reasons. Number one, that they were able to fit a Zelda game uh, onto a cartridge like that. But then also just like that game feels so densely packed, but it is also like really small when you really like look out at it all. I don't know. It's like a very, it's a miracle game. It's very limited, but it's also just bursting at the seams with so much stuff. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's a miracle and it's fantastic. It's one of the best Zelda games. And I think the real, real way to tell how good it is, is on the Link's Awakening remake, they didn't really change much in there. You know, obviously you have your graphical updates, debatable there, and you've got your quality of life updates, but like the only thing they really added on that was a dungeon maker. And that's something you couldn't have pulled off on the original Game Boy at all, unless that was your entire game, and that would be kind of stupid. But you're just taking this Game Boy game and straight onto the Switch. Like, I can't think of any other game that you would be able to pull that off on. No, it's, 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 it's incredible. And the fact that it's very strange because it's like, it's so, it was so right for a remake. And I think the remake is very, very good. And I definitely don't feel like it is like a inferior way of playing the game whatsoever. It does definitely like the $60 price tag can be a bit much for it. Absolutely. But at the same time, it's also one of the best Zelda games. So it's like, that I guess money is relative, but it's just so weird because this the the game's design, like the dungeons, they they, I don't know. I'm speechless talking about this game just because like, and maybe that's maybe why I chose to talk about Kirby instead because I'm not fully ready to talk about Link's Awakening. the 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 atmosphere, the world. I feel like this is the first Zelda game that really gets character work down, like having like very unique personalities and not just having, oh here's Link, oh here's Zelda, here's you know the wizard helping you. It's, it's really lives and dies by your emotional connection to the world that you're engaging with and the people on it. And that's why the ending hits so hard. And the fact that it's doing that and also just putting so many dungeons in there and so many items, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a pocket miracle. Just the way that you can have the music in there working off of a Game Boy sound chip. How do you get anything like that to work? That is an engineering miracle. How do you get something that's like a, forget what the exact size, but you're essentially looking at like an 8 by 12 grid, something ridiculously small like that, and here's your entire world. Like Zelda 1, you know, unless there's something in the manual, because I can't remember right now, 
you're just kind of there and you're doing all the stuff and it's fun but you don't have any other connections to the characters Zelda 2 has a little bit more of a connection to character plus you have the guy telling you just to burn everything down with fire so that's always cool and Link to the Past you're starting to get a little more characterization there but they still don't quite have it and then Link's Awakening is just full on here is your like Grave of the Fireflies level emotional story going with everything and here's these characters that you know but they're not quite right and here's all of the stuff that's going on there's all of these connections and I played all of this before Link to the Past so I still had those feelings about it I mean like if there's a Zelda game to introduce people to the franchise. I think that's a good one to pick because it's not a huge time commitment. I mean, same thing with A Link to the Past. I think either are a very good starting point. A Link to the Past is great because it's so archetypal and it really is super foundational and really coloring in the tropes that would become permanent within the Zelda franchise. But I love Link's Awakening a lot because of how unique it is and how singular it kind of is still in the franchise. Like There are definitely some more Black Sheep entries like Majora's Mask, which is my personal favorite. And I think that has a lot of DNA with Link's Awakening, which is probably why I love both so much. But like you said, the music is so, so great and on such a limited sound chip. And that's something that I feel about a lot of Game Boy games when I think about them. Uh, the Pokemon games on the Game Boy sound super impressive when you really sit down and hear how busy they all are. And the Oracle games, Zelda Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, also on the Game Boy Color, those are just like classic soundtracks to me. And it's probably because I played them a lot, but it also is just like cream of the crop gaming to me i mean they're just so good there's no mm -hmm. other way around it yeah and i'm also a huge twin peaks fan like i have several posters of twin peaks stuff in my house it's possibly my favorite tv show ever i want to get a twin peaks tattoo soon and specifically Link's awakening is a game very consciously riffing on twin peaks and has a lot of uh visual references and just tonal references to it because it was such a phenomenon in japan at the time so, again, just lends itself to why I love the game so much. I should get around to watching that. Somehow I haven't yet. We're also the geniuses who decided we were going to start watching One Piece from the first episode. Oh, I don't envy him. I was just talking uh, in the Final Fantasy episode how I don't have time for long anime anymore. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I could watch all of part one of Naruto. And now the idea of anything being more than 100 episodes terrifies me. <laughs> Thankfully for us, One Piece is being our, we don't really have time for like an hour long show commitment or we're tired and we don't want to pay attention kind of show. So it's probably been like a month now since we've watched any of it, but they do such a good job of catching you up episode to episode that we're fine. Yeah. It's not like an RPG where if you load it up, it's like, where am I? <laughs> nope. Just a matter of, wow, how many shows have we watched since then? As you're scrolling through on the watch list. <laughs> nice but hey that's enough about Link's awakening and television habits uh we are going to talk about the game that you ultimately settled on we're talking about a game that is widely beloved for its simplicity the simplicity of its character the simplicity of its world and just the simplicity of its game design we are talking about kirby's dreamland Thank you. 
Kirby's Dreamland is not only the first Kirby game we've covered on the show, it's the first Kirby game ever. Kirby's Dreamland was developed by HAL Laboratory and published by Nintendo for the Game Boy in 1992. HAL Laboratory is an independent game company that primarily develops games for Nintendo, giving them the reputation as something of a second-party developer. HAL is mostly known for developing Kirby games, but also developed the Mother series, Pokemon Snap, Pokemon Stadium, and Pokemon Ranger, as well as the first two Super Smash Bros. games. The music of Kirby's Dreamland was composed by Jun Ishikawa, who would go on to become a regular composer in the Kirby franchise and continues to work at HAL to this day. Kirby's Dreamland was the very first game made by Masahiro Sakurai, the game's director and designer. Uh, Masahiro Sakurai came up with the Kirby character design when he was 19 years old and originally intended it to be a simple placeholder until the team decided that it should be the final design for the character of their video game because they were just so endeared to his design. The character was referred to as Popopo during development before settling on the name Kirby. According to Shigeru Miyamoto, uh, this was a tribute to John Kirby, the lawyer who successfully defended Nintendo in a 1983 legal dispute where Universal Studios sued them over Donkey Kong, claiming it was trademark infringement on King Kong. So they sort of named it as a tribute to them because they sort of saved their you know, company and also just showed that, hey, a video game company can go up against a uh, giant studio and thrive under these conditions and it should be taken seriously as like a, a business model. They also just believe the name Kirby was a harsh contrast to his cutesy appearance, which made the name Kirby, and you're looking at this just cute little ball thing with a smile on its face, a funny juxtaposition, which they're right. It is kind of funny when you really think about it. But to me, it just looks like Kirby. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Like, obviously, if you were paying attention earlier, I didn't mention having a regular Nintendo because growing up, I never had one. So this was the only Kirby game I had played for the longest time, honestly, until Smash Brothers came out. I had never played any other Kirby game. And just looking at this, it's always, oh, here's this cute little guy. And he's just going around destroying everything with his breath. And it's just it's so funny seeing him waddle around all over the place and then just flying to get away from everybody or shooting his breath at people or sucking people in and eating them. And like, if you tell everybody what's going on, but don't give them a picture and tell them to draw the character. This would be the perfect thing to send up to Drawfee is, you know, describe Kirby, describe what he does and get them to draw what they think the character looks like. There is no way they would ever come up with anything close to the Kirby design. <laughs> Probably true. Now that you mention it, uh, just in isolation, hey, here's a creature who can consume everything in its path. It can duplicate itself. Uh, it can copy the abilities of other people. That's like a compositive, basically every superhero ever imaginable. And it's just, it's just Kirby. It's just, he's just a guy. He's just a little circle. It's just a marshmallow with feet and hands and a face. Yeah. What do you need? Nothing. I mean, Kirby is perfect. Kirby is everything. Kirby's design may have been very simple, but the development of this game was not. In the 2017 talk that Sakurai gave ahead of an orchestral performance that celebrated the 25th anniversary of this game's release, he said that HAL Laboratory was using a twin Famicom, which is a Famicom that took both discs and cartridges, as a development kit. A process he described as, quote, like using a lunchbox to make lunch, end quote. So yeah, they're developing the game directly onto uh, a console and not like a standard computer or anything like that. But what really shocked me was how he didn't even have access to a keyboard when developing this game. He had to input code using a trackball that was plugged into the Famicom and had to press the buttons on an on-screen keyboard. 
And he was doing this when he was 20 years old. It would drive me insane doing anything like this. It'd be like using a, a, a toy crane to use the lunchbox that you're using to make the lunch. It is, it is complexity on top of complexity. It's bad enough getting the swipe keyboard on my phone to work. I can't imagine doing anything that needs this level of precision at all. Right. It's a lot, but it, I mean, that's on top of everything else is probably why the simplicity was such an ethos in the design of this game. Talking about the plot and gameplay of Kirby's Dreamland, Kirby is a little guy who runs around. I, I joke, but the plot and gameplay is only maybe slightly more complex than that, like Kirby's actual physical design. The game is very simple. Kirby lives in Dreamland, which is located on a star-shaped planet called Popstar. An evil penguin named King Dedede steals all the food in the country, as well as the magical sparkling stars coveted by the people of Dreamland. It's up to Kirby to defeat Dedede and his cronies, and to return the sparkling stars and food back to the people, because Kirby is for the people. As for the gameplay, uh, Kirby's Dreamland is a side-scrolling platformer consisting of five levels. Levels are broken up by rooms, which serve as checkpoints, so when Kirby loses a life, he doesn't have to return to the very start of a level. Kirby can move forward and backwards, as well as jump and float in perpetuity. This makes Kirby distinct from other platforming characters and platforming games, because, especially those video games at the time, uh, because falling is almost never a real danger to the player or to Kirby. Kirby could just fly and jump in the air as long as you just keep pressing the jump button. Uh, he also has the ability to suck in the creatures that he encounters, choosing to either swallow them whole or to spit them out as projectiles. And while future games would enable Kirby to copy the powers of the people he eats, this game does not. Uh, Kirby's Adventure, released a year later on the NES, would establish that. Like I said, it's a pretty simple game, but as we'll get into later, simple doesn't mean bad. Kirby's Dreamland was released in North America on August 1st, 1992. Other games released in 1992 include Batman Returns, Super Mario Kart, Wolfenstein 3D, Road Rash 2, Streets of Rage 2, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins, Contra 3, The Alien Wars, Mega Man 5, and another game we've covered on this show and talked about a little bit today, The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. Uh, that's, that's quite a crop of games coming out in this year. Did you play any of these? Eventually, I'd played A Link to the Past. Eventually, I got around to this Mario Kart, although, like most people, my introduction was 64. Mm -hmm. That's most of it for me, honestly. You were a Genesis kid. I was surprised you like Streets of Rage, Sonic, Road Rash. That did nothing for you? We just, we skipped Streets of Rage. We skipped Road Rash. And my parents got us Sonic 1 when they got the Genesis, so they just decided that we didn't need a Sonic game again. <laughs> I don't think they quite caught on to the fact that this one, we could have had my brother and I playing together instead of having to take turns. <laughs> Sonic 2 is probably the best, it's probably still the best Sonic game to this day. So I guess, I guess y'all missed out. Sorry about that. I mean, eventually I got to that one too, but okay. Sonic 1 is always going to be my favorite. Sure. I guess you have a, you saw off of the simple ones in the games, like your Link's Awakening, your Kirby, and your Sonic. It's that and the childhood ones. That's really what it is. That's completely more than fair. What ultimately made you decide on Kirby's Dreamland over any video game to talk about today? Kirby's Dreamland is, it's like a 20 minute playthrough. If you're not trying to go around and find every single little corner of the room. Mostly though, for me, this is a game that I think more so than in a lot of other series is 
can really be defined by what this one is lacking compared to what future ones came out. You know, when you think of Kirby, you think of all the weird little costumes these days that he has. That's not in this game. You think of copying the abilities of the enemies. That's not in here. I mean, if you've played the newest one on Switch, whose name is escaping me now, you think of being able to drive the car around, mm-hmm. turn into that. That kind of thing isn't in here. This is pretty far away from a Kirby game if you're just looking at it by what features exist in the future. And yet, this is completely no question a Kirby game as you're going through it. You start off with the same enemies that you're going to be fighting throughout the series. You start off with a bunch of repeated bosses. That oak tree at the beginning, like if you make a Kirby game that doesn't have the tree, is it even a Kirby game? People would say no. I mean, it's probably the second most iconic thing in the series after Kirby itself, to the point that uh, his stage in Super Smash Brothers has the has the tree in it. Everything about Kirby and nothing about Kirby is in here. And I love it. Even down to the fact that here on the box art, this Kirby is white or gray, depending on how your eyes are working that day. And for anything else he's released on, he's a little pink blob. But yet you get this white or gray one here. I just think it's really fascinating how you can have this game that started off a series that had so little that carried on while also having so much. Yeah, for sure. Uh, This definitely is super foundational and almost everything we strongly associate with the Kirby franchise is there, but there are some fundamental pieces still missing. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. Uh, Speaking to your point about uh, the, the white Kirby or gray Kirby on the box art, this is a monochromatic game, so this game did not have colors that could easily easily signify what something was supposed to be on the screen. It's either black or white, uh, and this was a big point of a, not debate, but sort of like everybody having a different idea what Kirby truly looked like during development. Some people thought that, oh, he was literally just a white blob. Uh, Shigeru Miyamoto said, I thought, I thought he was yellow this entire time, but um, Sakurai had always believed that Kirby was a little pink circle. And that's why literally every single game afterwards, it's it's pink. Uh, the fact that player two Kirby is always consistently yellow is a sort of nod at Miyamoto's initial, oh my God, I thought he was yellow this entire time. And then yeah, the American box art, just white Kirby that would never, never appear ever again <laughs> as the main Kirby ever. The way that everything happened in here, I love it so much. And the 20-minute runtime, honestly, I mean, I don't care how disgusting this is. I would grab my Game Boy and if I had to go to the bathroom, go play through the entire game. (laughs) I I think anybody who's had a Game Boy in their life has done the same thing. But but yeah, let's go back in time a little bit. Do you remember what your first encounter with this game was like? The problem is that most of my Game Boy games can't remember when I got them. The best I can do is before Link's Awakening and after, and that's only because I got that the same day. So Mm. I don't remember why I got Kirby's Dreamland. I don't really remember what it was that caught my attention. Honestly, I don't remember if I picked it out or if my parents or somebody picked it out for me and got it for me as a present. But playing through this thing, it's simple enough to be able to just jump right into it and play it. 
he's like, you don't even really need to read the manual for anything. You can figure everything out. You don't have any kind of password save or anything, but getting into those further levels, it's not like it takes forever to get there. So just play long enough to get there. But there's so much exploring you can do in each level. Hidden levels with your one-ups and your soda bottles and your tomatoes. I just, honestly, I think that's hilarious that you find a whole tomato and that replenishes your health. (laughs) No, yeah, this game is like needing a manual for it when it really help because uh, there's only two buttons in addition to the directional pad in terms of what you can do. You can jump, you can suck, and you can move forward and backwards. That's that's really kind of it. It's an easy game. It's not difficult at all, which for a lot of games at the time that was kind of, like especially platformers, it's kind of things where it's like the, the length is felt because you keep getting game overs or having to start from the beginning. If you lose all of your lives in Kirby's Dreamland, you just go back to the beginning of the level. You don't even have to start from uh, Wispy Woods. My wife was watching a playthrough with me the other night because, you know, she wanted to see it. We had to eat dinner. She hadn't somehow never played this game, which already means that I have just failed her as a human being. And we're watching it. There's absolutely no question from her about what's going on. I mean, a little bit of it is I had to remind her that Kirby didn't have the copy abilities yet. And like, oh, man, that would have been so much easier if we could have just kept the sword there. (laughs) But other than that, it, it was a lot of. Oh, oh, cool. He's getting on a star and flying out of a whale's blowhole. Yeah. But, you know, you're just going through all of this and it's so simple. Like you can give this to anybody and just say, here, go play and they're going to figure it out. But it's so much fun. It is. It's a really fun game. Uh, Before we get into talking about what makes this game so great. Uh, I did want to talk about this game's availability. You just talked about playing it earlier uh, with your wife. So we're going to jump into a segment that we do every episode called No Country for Old Games. I am very passionate about video game preservation. If we want to treat video games as an art form, we have to take the necessary steps in preserving and archiving them so people can readily access and play these games in the future. Games like Kirby's Dreamland mean a lot to people, not just you and me. And it's an important piece of gaming history. It was the debut of one of the medium's most iconic and recognizable characters, and it should be preserved for all time. Once again, Kirby is for the people. The problem is many video game publishers are not motivated to preserve, archive, or even make their older games readily available. And as a result, many video games, even popular and influential works, end up becoming inaccessible over time. In this segment, No Country for Old Games, we will rate today's game on a scale of A to Argon. Arg is obviously me expressing how hard it is to acquire a, a video game and is in no way me covertly advocating for piracy, which is illegal. It's bad. It's illegal. Ooh. Uh, Kirby's Dreamland was released for the Game Boy in 1992. Before we get into the history of this game's availability in the years since its release, I have to ask you, Chris, when you get the urge to revisit this, as you said, 20-minute game, how do you play it? I still have my Game Boy copy. I pop it in whichever Game Boy I grab because I used to spend way too much time at the flea market. So I play it on an actual old cart. Nice. Uh, That's definitely the intended way to play it. Uh, There's so many different ways that this game has been available throughout the years. Going into the history of this game's availability, the Game Boy version of this could be played on future versions of the Game Boy handheld. Like you said, you have many different versions of the Game Boy available to you. There was the Game Boy Pocket, there was the Game Boy Color, which would be able to play games in color and not just the monochromatic black and white. There were future editions like the Game Boy Advance, the Game Boy Advance SP, which was the the, the clamshell version of it. 
So your regular Game Boy cart would work on all of those versions of the Game Boy. And then it would not become available in any other form besides that cart for years until 2011, 19 years after the original game's release with the virtual console re-release on the Nintendo 3DS, where you could purchase this game digitally for just $4. After that, it was also included on Kirby's Dream Collection, which was a collection of Kirby games released for the Nintendo Wii to celebrate the franchise's 20th anniversary in 2012. The collection included six games, Kirby's Dream Land 1 through 3, uh, Kirby's Adventure, Kirby's Superstar, and Kirby 64, as well as a myriad of special features and a soundtrack CD with music from the franchise. Uh, this and the 3DS version of Dreamland both run via emulator and the abilities to suspend your play session on the spot. Fun fact, this would be the last first-party Wii game to be released in North America. Uh, so Kirby was the end of the Wii, <laughs> in a way. Officially, Nintendo no longer supports the Wii, and the 3DS eShop was closed down in March of 2023. So currently, the only official way you can play this game is through the Nintendo Switch online service, unless you own a cart like Chris does here. Those with the standard Switch online membership can play emulated Game Boy games on their Nintendo Switch. Uh, this game cannot be purchased, and it can only be played through the Game Boy application with the standard quality of life features it offers, like save states and being able to rewind your gameplay. Uh, this was how I played the game in preparation for this episode. Kirby's Dream Land 2, the game's sequel that was released in 1995, can also currently be played on the application, and I highly recommend people play that if they haven't played it and have Switch Online. Did you play Kirby's Dream Land 2 ever? I did at some point, because <laughs> when I was in middle school, one of my teachers' sons taught us about some ways that you could play games. And we're just going to leave it there. <laughs> so I have no qualms about piracy for a lot of cases because I have literally had the files since middle school. Sure. And when I, when I got them, there was no other way to get the game. Like I couldn't give Nintendo money in exchange for these. So I mean, what am I going to do? Delete the file? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> If Nintendo is not going to make these games available, they're not losing money and you're just gaining an experience. But legally, that's wrong. How dare you? Yes. Don't you're, don't do that. Don't do that. Hmm. Point is, it's readily available, the original Kirby's Dreamland and Kirby's Dreamland 2, to play on the Nintendo Switch, but you can't own the game, even even digitally anymore. Uh, so because of that, I won't give the game a full throat at A. But it's definitely not an ARG either. It's I consider this right down the middle in terms of availability from its uh, publisher. It is accessible, but how it can be accessed could be better. I've talked about this in multiple episodes at this point. It's the link to the past one, the Mario 3 one, a little bit in the GoldenEye one, and the episode where I review the PlayStation Plus rebrand. Even I don't like the Nintendo Switch Online model. I, I don't care for it at all. I hate, I hate the subscription model, actually. And I want there to be alternative ways to access these games without having to pay a, a membership to access an emulator. It is, it's not enough. Uh, I've, I've been on this rant before, so I'm going to end it here. Uh, not an arc, but it could be better. Kirby is for the people. Kirby's Dreamland sold over 5 million copies over the years and launched the Kirby franchise, making him into the superstar he is today. It was also the success that propelled the game's director, Masahiro Sakurai, onto the path of being one of the most widely known game developers in the world. 
Uh, you know, he is the guy that everybody yells at over Super Smash Brothers after all, and everybody should leave him alone. He is just one man. He's tired. Leave him alone. But we are not here to reduce the legacy of Kirby's Dreamland to a series of numbers. We are here to discuss what it means to the people who played it. So let's get into it, Chris. Hey, everybody. It's me, Ken. I use she and him pronouns. Uh, and I'm here to talk about clowns. The anime slash manga, Ken Ashra. I am ready to talk about some animorphs. Roma, have you ever heard of the <gasps> art movement of Dadaism? Interest in a musician group called Exociety. It's Yu-Gi-Oh. The brain worm that I would like to deliver you to you today is um, Gundam and or Gumpla. I became aware of a series of novels that people told me about called Discworld. Hey, Lewis, what are we talking about? Aragon. Aragon. Welcome to the Hyperfixation, where we invite our friends onto our show to tell us about what they're excited about so we can acquire an approximate knowledge of many things. New episodes out every Wednesday morning and up to five days early for patrons. Normalize info dumping and learn something new with us today, thanks to the Moonshot Network. Uh, what do you like about this particular video game that you wish more video games would do? I really love how simple this is. I mean, we've said that a lot, but that really is, I think, the big appeal of it. You go in, there's no question about what you do. You know, there's the little bit of questions of how to get through the level and everything. It's not like they have a golden path laid out for you and all you have to do is walk down it. But, you know, it, it's a good game. Like, you sit there, there's no question with the tree. Grab the apples, you spit them at the tree. You know, you grab the bad guys that the cloud is spitting out at you. You shoot your air at the blimp and try not to let your mom hear you cussing at it because that's the worst boss in the entire game and I still stand by that. I hate him. I think that's the closest thing the game has to a, a hard section just because it can really get some hits on you. When I die in Kirby's Dreamland, that's where I die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's probably where I died too. And then you get to do all the bosses again in a boss rush. It's just so much fun. Yeah, no, it's a fun game. Uh, if you look at my notes here, it really is just me reiterating the simplicity uh, as a as a good thing. Like, I really like how this video game serves as an introduction to platforming video games as a concept. I really just like the idea of video games in general. When you really look at it, to your point earlier, you said like you could hand somebody uh, a Game Boy. It has two face buttons and then the directional pad. You would you get a handle on this game pretty quickly uh, if you have the patience to really just sit with it for more than a minute. The game was intentionally designed by Sakurai to be a game that anybody could play. Yes, it's it's easy, but I do think that's something that's to its credit, and it's not necessarily a liability. You could look at this video game, Kirby's Dreamland, as a demo for the concept of platforming video games as a, as a genre. The ability for Kirby to float in the air as long as you want him to is like playing a platforming game with the guardrails on. There aren't a lot of video games where you can jump forever, but Kirby can, and you can use it to get over obstacles. Not every time, but it is a pretty good way of just like getting across a point. I think the simplicity is a great asset. And the art that it has with it, you know, when you look at the first Super Mario Land game, that thing looks like it's on a calculator. But it's also older than this, so, I mean, what are you going to do? You're trying to figure out the console. By the time Kirby's Dreamland comes out, you've got these beautiful sprites in there. Everything that's going on, there's no question about it. 
you know, you can have individual drops of water coming out of the spray that's going out of the whale. You can have sweat coming off King DDD. You can have all this stuff. And granted, you know, Super Mario Land 2 looked a lot better than the original one. So a lot of people had it figured out by the time 92 came around. But when you look here at Kirby, it's here's your tiny little thing. It would have been so easy to take less time and make uglier art in this tiny little game that had like a sub $25 MSRP at launch. That might have been why my parents got it for me because it was cheap. Mm. <laughs> that just hit me. And <laughs> like you're looking at all of this stuff and you could have very easily, you know, here's the game. We're kind of tech demoing it for Kirby's adventure. We're seeing what can get pulled off. We're going to try to recoup some of our investment as we're going. But, you know, there's the care in here and the love of everything. And even in the credits, you can tell what pieces of fruit are falling out of the castle. What kid is watching the credits? They didn't need to take that much time. <laughs> no, yeah, no. This game has a very, very visually coherent art direction. Like to your point about Mario Land, I mean, that's not a visually expressive video game the same way that Kirby is a visually expressive video game character. Kirby has very distinct facial animations. Kirby has an idle animation. It's all great. It's like he's a very expressive character and it's such a a limited hardware device. The simplicity is a great asset, but this is a development team that was really working with the hardware limitations in a fascinating way. It's kind of incredible that it all like has like a very distinct art style. And this was the game that started the franchise and created the iconography of the franchise for decades to come. Uh, You were talking about this earlier, like this establishes so much of Kirby. There's only a few things that really aren't set up in this game. Playing this game, it felt a lot like um, when you're watching Dr. No for the first time and seeing how much of the Bond formula is in there from the very first game, sorry, very first movie. Like all the art style of Kirby is already there. The, the, the characters, King DDD, the enemies, they're all there. Obviously, not everything is. That's same for the very first Bond film. They didn't have the Bond theme song yet. Uh, but it's still pretty surprising how, how much is all from this one game. Like, as the graphics and everything improve, they're still keeping these pretty simple enemy designs. The Waddle Doos, the Knights, everything. There's these little round guys that they sort of made as more of like a, a shorthand to represent an enemy more than something visually complex that a more graphically capable device would do. But they're so proud of the game that they made and the world that they developed within it that they just sort of kept going with the style and just made it prettier and prettier as they got more bits and colors to work with. Everything about this game amazes me. I can go through and play this, and I know exactly what's going to happen. I still love playing. Like I will turn around after I play it and just immediately play it again. Like, mm-hmm. I don't do that with Link's Awakening, and you guys heard how much I love that game. Sure. You, you got to play Link's Awakening for a few hours, though, so it can be a... And it's a game that has like a really emotionally, uh, you know, a really emotional ending. This is like, a, hey, uh, <laughs> the, fruit, the fruit's back, everybody. And like, hey, the game, like literally after the credits is like, hey, you beat the game. You want to play more of the game again? You want to play the game again? Just press this button to play the game again. And then you probably will play the game again on a harder difficulty. Yeah, but the thing is, like, the Game Boy was a limited device. We've talked about this, the monochromatic stuff. We've talked about the simplicity of the, the game. We could, you know, I've, I've made, we've made these points abundantly clear. But 
the core appeal of the Game Boy was that simplicity at the time. Like now when you get like a handheld device in like the age of like, the you know, the DS and beyond, like there is like more of an expectation of sophistication, you know, as games get more expensive, yada, yada, you want more time that you're able to spend with them. But that original Game Boy retailed for what, 90 bucks? And then the games, like you said, like $25, $20 MRSP. When Tetris launched with the Game Boy, right? It didn't just create a phenomenon. That Game Boy and Tetris combination, that was writing the thesis statement on what the Game Boy was meant to be. Simple experiences that had addicting gameplay loops and a portable device. You could take this thing with you. You didn't have to put in the time commitment of having to sit down and play a game. You didn't have to put in like the, the spatial aspect of I have to plug this console into the TV and I can only play it in this particular room. No, you have a game that you can play anywhere and can put in any amount of time to it and be satisfied with it. And Kirby is a great platformer for that short burst of I want to play a video game and, you know, look at some like pretty little cute creatures in, in that process. Every other game that I had for Game Boy, it was a lot of sports games. And, you know, I had a few other platforms um, like the the Daffy Duck in Space One. We got the Dodgers. Yes, that one. Mm-hmm. I never got too far in that one because I got it because I like Daffy Duck and, you know, not really that good of a game to young Chris. I haven't gone back and looked at it. Um, the Star Wars game for A New Hope. Never could get the hang of that one. So, you know, I had a few things that I would play and try to play them again and just could never get to it. Keep coming back to Kirby. It's just, it's great. It's that I have a little bit of time to kill, so I know how long this is going to take me. I'm going to experience it. It's like how a lot of people will have their favorite YouTube videos or TV episodes now. Yeah, no, it's it's a comfort game. That, That makes complete sense. And look, in this show, we do want to take things down to size a bit. We want to we we ask our guests to kill their darlings a little bit. Can you identify any flaws in this game or is there anything about this game that you wish it did better? Outside of wishing that it had some of the things that would come in later games. This is the hard part because I did fail to go and look and see how much memory this game takes up versus what you could fit on a cart. So Obviously, I could sit here and say, I'd love to have more levels. I'd love to have more of the game. But I don't know how much more you could actually fit on the cart. I mean, what would be kind of good here is if it would randomize it, the level order when you start up the game, or even let you choose what order you go in so you don't have to play Wispy Woods first every single time. I mean, there's only really four levels and then the boss rush. So it's not like the levels have any kind of continuity to them either. It doesn't matter what order you go in at all. You know, you're just playing the game. Right. Really, the only like continuity between levels is like level one is kind of like, here's what the game is like. And then two is when it starts introducing more like labyrinthine kind of level design. And you're not just like going in a straight line like you are in the first level. Beyond that, it's the level order is almost arbitrary. And it's a difficult thing having a substantial conversation about what this game lacks or fails at, right? Because the simplicity of it is by design, and future video games do a very good job building on that foundation that it laid. So it's really just like any criticism that you have of this game is like, I wish I was playing one of the Kirby games where you can copy the ability of somebody else, or I wish I was playing a Kirby game that had additional levels, like 
<laughs> that's what Kirby's Dream Land 2 is. It's more levels than Kirby. I can't really say this game needs more of anything because that would really go against the game's ethos of simplicity. Uh, I can't say that I want less of anything because there's already so little to it. The game successfully did what it set out to do, and it's just up to your personal taste whether you like it or not. I liked it. It's Kirby. What, what's not to like? I love the guy. He's, he's for the people. So like beating the game gives you that hard mode, right? And if you beat the game a second time in that harder mode, you unlock another mode where you can adjust Kirby's health meter and a number of lives. You can So you can functionally set the difficulty to be whatever you want it to be. You can make the game piss easy. You can make the game like one hit, you're dead. That's it. You can, you can also listen to the music and the sound effects freely after your second playthrough too. If I had to give any kind of nitpick at all whatsoever, I, I, it would probably be nice if there was a way to enter a secret code on startup so you wouldn't have to keep beating the game multiple times to get to that like set your own difficulty state but even that that's not even really a nitpick anymore uh, unless you like if you have the cartridge yeah you can't do that but if you have the, the the emulation emulated version of this game on 3ds or on the switch you can do that all you have to do is just beat the game twice create a save state and then you can just do that you can do that every time every time you load the game now so like even my nitpick is just kind of made redundant by future editions of the game so there, there you go I guess the game's flawless. 10 out of 10 masterpiece. <laughs> I mean, really, what else could you want in this? The only other thing I could think of is I wish it had had better uh, releases. Going 19 years before this thing got re-released was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. You had other things going. Also, the fact that I'm even having to bring that up, yeah, that's, that just shows you what little this game can take or lose. I mean, it's almost like saying what shape would you add as the third player in tic-tac-toe. Yeah. You like this game or you don't. The game set out what it did to do. I'm not saying that, you know, any game is inherently perfect or not perfect, but really it's just kind of like, if you want to add something to it, that's what the other games are for. <laughs> this is the first game. It, like every, you know, retroactive criticism of like, I wish the copy ability was there is informed by the future of the series. So it's just kind of hard to really engage in like what this game really fail to do on a personal level it's just like at this point with what there is like beating the game in half an hour it's like i liked it or uh, you know <laughs> that's no, really i it. wish i could play this game except it had a yarn aesthetic yeah you know i wish i could play this game but it was like on an apocalyptic planet and i could just like put my entire body over a vending machine and just shoot cans at people Or I wish this I wish this, I wish this was a racing game. I wish this was a racing game, and I was riding on the star, and there are other people on a racetrack too. That would, that'd be pretty fun. I wish this game was in three D. Mm hmm. Yeah, for sure. I wish this game was called Kirby's Dreamland too. That would that'd be pretty cool. Which you know we're talking about other Kirby games now. What are your thoughts on the rest of the Kirby franchise, and what has been what has your experience been like playing those other games? For the most part, I really love the rest of them. I never could get into the golf one. Like I'll play it for a little bit every once in a while, but I mean, in the end, it's not a mainline Kirby game. So who really cares? It's it's a golf game that happens to have Kirby characters. I don't have a ton of experience with Kirby's Dream Land two or three. Like enough to where yeah, I've played them. That's fine. For the most part, I jump over to the uh, home console versions. Kirby's Adventure is like the next super logical step here. You're taking this game and you're adding 
probably 85-90% of what you're thinking is missing from a Kirby game shows up first in Kirby's Adventure. And between these two, you have your foundation for the entire series. The newer games are great. Epic Yarn is good. Uh, the new one, really good. And you're having a series where you're essentially saying, oh look, the bad guy stole a thing, you need to go get it back. It's over and over and over, and it, it works here. Just like it works for Mario, you know, you're not going to question why they keep setting themselves up to get robbed like this because it's a fun adventure while you're doing it. Yeah, no, like they 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 mix it up. Like in future games, will introduce Meta Knight and everything, and then like King DDD doesn't really continue to be a villain so much as just sort of like a nuisance. And then like like a an eldritch god just shows up, and Kirby's like, "I'm going to kill God now." Bye. That's that's really just the escalation of the series like again most everything's there the variations on it are really just level design and what uh i don't want to say gimmick but like what new gameplay feature are we testing out on kirby this time are there going to be many kirby's are you going to use the touchpad to like carve out a path as to where kirby's going to go uh are we going to put kirby in a 3d space and let him just put his mouth all over everything that's that's really what it is like i think kirby's like formula is so established that it's just become like the safe little proving ground for other, other gameplay concepts. And since everybody loves Kirby, Kirby's a welcoming face. Kirby's a familiar face. People are open to having a lot of weird, weird spinoffs. You talked about uh, Kirby's dream course. I actually really like Kirby's dream course. I have a lot of, uh, I played that a lot in college, weirdly uh, on an emulator. What? I, I didn't say that. I played that a lot in college somehow with my best friend that I was around all the time there. It was just a great way of just like killing time with another person. I, we just liked the visuals of Kirby and wasn't demanding too much of our attention. And there was a light competitive element to it. There's no other game quite like Kirby's Dream Course either. Like you said, it is a golf game, but it is also just like, I don't know, so weird in its presentation that it, there isn't really anything else like it. It's almost like Sonic 3D Blast with golf, I guess. Honestly, I think part of the reason might be because I'm somehow magically playing it on a PSP. Wow. <laughs> I think the last time I tried to play it, uh, we were sitting outside on the front porch room for Halloween because our cats would get scared with that many people coming to the door. So we just grab something like that and we go sit outside. Yeah, I do think that that is like one, uh, an example of a game that you have to play with somebody else. Like that is something that like the entertainment value is like doing it with another person and playing against a computer probably isn't the best idea. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, it's 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 competitive. It's like playing Mario Party by yourself. It's just kind of like, what do you, what am I doing here? <laughs> but but I will do that on purpose. So I guess I'm gonna be a future forest tournament. No, I mean like if you like it, I mean like the, the mini games are fun. But I do think that like it really goes to another level having another person there. As for like the mainline Kirby games, I played Adventure, played Dreamland Two, uh, Superstar. There was the DS version of Superstar called Superstar Ultra, and I played that a lot. Uh, I, I had uh, Kirby 64 on uh, the Wii because they had the, the virtual console there. I missed the virtual console so much. Uh, and then I played Kirby's Epic Yarn. Those are those are all fun games. Uh, Epic Yarn is, you know, the game that's like super comically easy, even relative to, to Kirby terms. There's no fail state at all. It's just losing your gems. Like, again, Kirby is for everybody. The idea is like you can just have fun, play a game, be Kirby. There, there's not much more to it. It's just a game series that's meant to invite all different kinds of people. I got Kirby in the Forgotten Land as a gift for my roommate Avery uh, for Christmas, and he's he's loved it. 
you know, everybody, everybody just seems to love Kirby and everybody's open to playing Kirby. I know you mentioned earlier that part of this is like playing with the guardrails on, but I think that's just another example of kind of making your own difficulty here. Like I can sit there in Epic Yarn and decide, okay, um, if I get hit ever, I'm going to have to start the game over. You can do that kind of thing for yourself, make your own challenges with it and just do whatever you want to do with the game. You can't really do that on Dark Souls because if you die, you die. (laughs) I mean, like that, then you sort of get, you're really getting into like the ethos of like, the the whole like expanded universe of uh you know professional gaming where it's like speedrunners will do uh you know beating the game in the shortest amount of time possible or uh, people do no hit runs of Mega Man and there are no hit runs of Dark Souls if you can believe it there are insane people not insane yeah I definitely they're, don't believe it they're ambitious people <laughs> who uh are so like experienced with these games that they can they can do it uh, I mean there are people who are doing this shit playing Dark Souls with guitar hero guitars or dance dance revolution pads the the imagination of a uh, of gamers is uh boundless and endless but I do think that Kirby is a great uh experimenting ground to uh do all that stuff because of its brevity uh that's that's one good thing and then um yeah like again like if you want to fight King DDD and just stay flying in the air while uh he gets his attacks out and you can recognize its pattern. That's that's more than okay. But if you also want to get in the shit, you can absolutely get in the shit. Do you know if anybody has done a blindfolded run of Kirby's Dreamland? Because I think that would be amazing. Let's look it up right now. <laughs> We're not doing this live. We can fix it in post. Uh, there is a person who did a blindfolded attempt at Kirby in the Forgotten Land, if you Google it. Oh, nice. Look, there's a, okay, May 11th, 2022. This isn't Kirby. Blindfolded 120-star speed run of Super Mario 64. So. <laughs> yeah, if they did that, somebody has to have done Kirby. Oh, look, here it is. Um, a 40-minute video of Kirby's Dreamland. Somebody has it. Yeah. I think it stands to reason if anybody can do anything in a video game space, no hit runs, blindfolded runs, you can do it in Kirby. And I do think Kirby is like a great ground level. Like, hey, can I do this task in a complex video game? Let me try it out in Kirby first. Of course, Masahiro Sakurai would go on to direct the uh, Super Smash Brothers franchise. Uh, you mentioned seeing Kirby in a console space for the first time in those games. Do you do you like the Smash Brothers games? Who doesn't like Smash Brothers? It, it's just, it's the perfect little, like, I'm going to take my toys and make them fight kind of game. 64 was my first experience with it. I didn't get as heavily into Melee as a lot of my friends, but they were getting into the let's get super competitive end of things. I just like having fun with it. The Subspace Emissary, I was all over that on the Wii One. I love Smash Brothers. I just really love fighting games general so having one like this that's just so playful and fun with everything and you don't have to sit there and be able to quarter turn down opposite turn the other way three times x two times circle kind of thing to do a good move you just kind of you hit the c stick and Mm -hmm. a button and you make it work The, the game design philosophy that Sakurai brought to Kirby is clearly demonstrated in a lot of the gameplay elements of a lot of the uh, Smash Brothers games. Uh, the adventure mode in Smash Brothers Melee definitely has like the vibe of like a Kirby 
esque kind of thing. And then the subspace emissary, of course, too, with their like, let's go to another room. And then this is a new level, a uh, new section of the level. And oh god, now these levels are getting more and more convoluted and labyrinthian. Hey, here's a mid boss, all that kind of stuff. That is very clearly like the same like general platforming layout of a Kirby game, but just mapped onto like the uh, the Super Smash Brothers house style. And another thing I found in my research, and I'm so upset that I didn't know this because it is delightful and wonderful. And this person also deserves a ton of credit because I really enjoy their work. Masahiro Sakurai's wife, uh, Michiko Sakurai, co-founded Sora LTD with him after he left HAL Labs in 2003. Now, whenever Sakurai develops a game, uh, is working on a game, she's also working on the game. She develops a lot of the user interfaces in the the video games like a uh, kid icarus uprising and the smash brothers games so if you've ever liked the ui in any of those games and i do i love those uis a lot especially the ui in kid icarus uprising i think that that is a very underrated part of that game that's 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 sakurai's wife right there designing all that shit wonderful shit See, that, i didn't know about that that's really cool and mm -hmm. i it just gives me another reason to go actually play uprising because for some reason i haven't gotten around to that one yet either it's great. I love Kid Icarus Uprising so much. Like, obviously, the control issue was the big uh, criticism at the time, but it's worth enduring, or you could just get that peripheral that adds, like, a second stick to the uh, 3DS. But I really hope that that's a game that gets a second life somewhere out there because it is, it's it's very good. And uh, like I said, the, the the menus and the way that you're able to move them around on the on the screen, it's it's its own kind of fun. So, yeah, that is most of everything that I wanted to talk about in terms of Kirby's Dreamland. This was a very fun episode to do, very low stakes and simple, just like Kirby until he has to fight God. Uh, I do have a few more questions for you. What impact would you say that Kirby's Dreamland made on you? A lot of what I'm doing now, there is, I, I want to keep it simple. Like, I want to keep things accessible. You could have somebody come in to the podcast, for example. And, you know, this is the first episode they're hearing. So you need to give them an introduction real quick. You can have some experience at work. You know, you need to give somebody an introduction real quick. You need to let them know what's going on. You need to kind of give them the, the easy version of what you're doing. A lot of this for me has come from Kirby and it's keep it simple and accessible and try to have your creativity through restriction so like yes i'm still going to follow all the rules at work i'm definitely going to do everything that i'm supposed to do but i'm also definitely going to do it in the way that benefits me the most i'm totally not picking the items that i sell things under based on things that will or will not affect my paycheck yeah i mean that's completely fair like it, that's a really good ethos to bring with you because Kirby is universal, not just in like, hey, that is a very recognizable design, but you know, like we've talked about throughout this episode, just virtually anybody can play this game. It's, it's, it's intuitive. And being able to put things in layman's terms or being able to introduce things that you make in a way that can be understood by the most number of people, that is a very useful thing. So that's a really good answer. Thank you for that. Well, thank you. Sometimes I actually know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. You're, you're a smart person. I like your podcast. And how do you think this game specifically affected your relationship with video games, if at all? That one's a little harder to tell because it was such a limited thing with Game Boy. Um, and then when we got the PlayStation, it was a lot of sports in Final Fantasy VII. But one thing that 
I do know that I appreciate here is I like being able to jump into the game and just go. I like being able to share what's going on with my wife and with other people. So like there was a couple horror games I'd gotten and she just hated them so much. So gory <laughs> and everything. And here's the, the part. I can't even remember what they were because I ended up selling them online the next day anyway on Craigslist or something because, right. you know, it wasn't really my thing anyway, but just, you know, make a good game for what it is. Your game doesn't have to be the super best at everything. It needs to be good at being itself. Like a lot of people are going to say Sonic 1. You, know, you don't have the spin dash. You don't have Tails. You don't have a lot of things that people actually like in newer Sonic games. But it's still a Sonic game. And love it. And it's always going to be there for you. And I think that's more the thing for me than anything else is growing up, moving as much as I did, your friends change, what you can watch on TV changes because of the timing of everything, what you have available activity-wise changes based on the people that are always there. But Kirby is going to be Kirby no matter where you end up living. Yeah. No, that's a very salient point. You pointed out Sonic, and that's a great example of a series that has overcomplicated itself over the years and has struggled with his identity as a result. And then, like, you look back at these original games and people covet those simpler eras. Like, obviously, there are people who do love the 3D era of Sonic, but there's there's the refinement and simplicity. And then there's like seeing something really struggle as it tries to needlessly complicate itself. And Kirby's never had that problem. Like, when the most complicated Kirby game is probably Forgotten Land, the one that just came out last year you're probably in a good place because that is still a game that most people can come into with relatively little video game experience as opposed to something like uh, playing a new video game in general in 2022 or 2023. I know people that tried to get in a Persona with 5. I don't think that was the smartest move for them. I mean, they were trying to get into video games in general anyway. Yeah, I mean, like an RPG is always like a... It always seems like a good idea to start because, oh, turn-based. So I don't really have to have like the reflexes associated with more complicated video games. But there's just still, like, number one, the time commitment. And then there's also just how much the games really throw at you on a conceptual level. Like you still have to strategize. Turn-based doesn't necessarily simplify things unless it's maybe Pokemon. Because you do really have to worry about so many other mechanics to offset the fact that you're not doing it in real time. I always like think like, well, maybe RPG. No, because then you have to do that for 80 hours and you better, and you better have fun with it. Would you say that anything about Kirby has influenced like what you seek out or consume in media? I like finding things with a lot of lore going on. Part of that probably comes from the comic thing too. But you can see the progression of Kirby. I think a lot of why Kaylee and I have started getting into a lot more anime lately is a lot more of that seems to be made of here is a complete arc that's done. And you can get in and out of a Kirby game, and that's it. You can get in and out of a season of laid back camp, for example. And Besides the fact that, holy crap, I want more of that right now, that's the only issue, is you need more of the IP, because it's just that good. Right. 
you mentioned, you know, watching anime. Uh, did you ever watch any of the Kirby anime? I have not yet. All right. It's fun. It's cute. I remember watching it a bunch as a kid when it aired on four kids next to uh, Sonic X and Beautiful Joe in uh, F-Zero. Very, very rich time in a very specific couple of years where they were making video game anime. And then they just weirdly slowed down with that, even though like video games are becoming more and more popular. Not slowed down with it, but just like that was a very early time for like video game anime adaptations. And it wouldn't really pick up again until years and years later. Now that video games are tremendously huge properties. Oh, yeah. So first episode, October of 2001 is what I'm seeing right here. We needed um, it after 9-11. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure there. But that was also high school for me. So, so not enough time for I, Kirby. <laughs> I know, which is surprising because we t- spent this whole episode talking about how short the game is and how you can jump right into it. Sure. Somehow I don't have time for our favorite little pink marshmallow guy. Yeah, but 100 episodes of a 20 minute anime and, you know. <laughs> Playing twenty minutes of a video game that you know and love for throughout your childhood, different, different tones, different, yeah, different things. Just a bit. Yeah. Now I've talked about how Kirby made an impact on your life and how it affects how you consume things. Let's sort of reverse that question a little bit. If Kirby consumed you, what ability would he get? My initial answer is he's going to be one of the fire pigs because he's going to pick up the anxiety and depression stuff. But that's mm-hmm. probably not something he would want to get. Um, I don't know. In a lot of ways, I think I'm kind of like Kirby because like, I kind of adapt to what the situation needs and what the place needs. So I don't know what he'd be able to take from me that isn't, oh, look, here's another copy ability. Yeah. <laughs> I want, I, I'm glad you're trying to look at it from a positive angle. I mean, it's great. I mean, it seems like maybe... Kirby has imparted more to you than you think. The adaptability angle. Okay, so if we're going to be like that, then Kirby can become a plasma and fit through holes like an octopus. Okay, yeah, there you go. That's a really fun one, actually. The the locomotion aspect of things. Like One of my favorite Kirby abilities is like when he becomes a tire and moves really fast, but being able to fit to tight crevices, yeah, go for it, Kirby. Uh, if he ate me, he'd get insomnia. Yeah, that's not good. I, yeah, no, I don't sleep very much. I wish I did. But uh, ooh, if I had to put a positive spin on it, Kirby is very good at multitasking if he were to consume me. How about that? That's how we'll, that's how we'll prescribe ADHD in a positive way. I guess I could also throw in Kirby would be able to very easily fall asleep and regain health. There you go. Yeah. Like using rest in Pokemon. Thank you again for talking to me about all things Kirby, Kirby's Dreamland, and just talking a little bit about yourself. Uh, Before we get to the end here, uh, we do allow our guests to sort of take the time to make some recommendations based off the game that we discussed. Do you have any recommendations for people based off of Kirby's Dreamland? Any other Kirby game you can get your hands on is the super easy, obvious answer, because they're Kirby games. If you like one, you basically like all of them. And the only reason I can think of why you wouldn't is because you hate the controller for that console. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, though, that is toughy. 
And I spent the past couple days really thinking about this one because Kirby is such a game. Funnily enough, what I have really settled on is the aspect of Kirby where you have basically unlimited ammunition where you can run through the level and just completely decimate everybody. So go play Metal Slug. I love Metal Slug. That's a great answer, actually. Metal Slug is such a wonderful game. Like Kirby, it is cartoony in a way that you just kind of have to find humorous. There's so many just completely abstract, off-the-wall things going on. But it's such a simple concept. Go to the right and shoot things. Yeah, no, it's great. I played Metal Slug 5 at a friend's house the other day. Great art design. Uh, The pixely art is so fantastic and so convoluted. It's just very pretty to look at. The music goes super hard. It's fun to play with a friend. It's just great, cooperative, stressful gameplay. Play it. Play play Metal Slug if you haven't haven't had the chance. It's 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 well worth it. Any other recommendations? It can't doesn't have to be just video games either. It could be any kind of media. If you're gonna go any kind of media, then a lot of anime I think would fit. I know I mentioned Laid Back Camp earlier. That is basically just some girls in a Japanese high school decide they're gonna make a camping club, and it's just so sweet and wholesome. And if you don't like it, you're probably a monster. Uh, Kaylee and I just started watching My Hero Academia, so you're getting a lot of that really simple uh, main character thing going where every interaction with other people is kind of an emotional thing because you're watching his growth, trying to accept what he's got going on in whatever stage of the story you're in. Finally, I'm going to throw out Big Windup. It is a baseball anime, which is kind of the same idea of this kid was a pitcher going to a junior high that his family, I forget how, but his family somehow had their name on the school. And the baseball coach kept letting him pitch, even though he wasn't that good. And it turns out it's not that he wasn't good. It's that he was a Greg Maddox, I'm going to put the ball wherever I want kind of pitcher, pitching with people who were trying to get him to be like Nolan Ryan, just rear back and throw the ball hard. (laughs) Thank you for those recommendations. Anything else? I think that's all I'm going to roll with right now. Okay, great. I just wanted to make sure before I gave my recommendations. Uh, No, but those are great recommendations. I'll definitely check out uh, those other two anime, Big Wind Up and what was uh, the first one? Laid Back Camp. Laid Back Camp. I've seen My Hero Academia. I enjoy My Hero Academia, but I hadn't heard the other two. So thank you for those recommendations. My recommendations, usually I you know, recommend a bunch of movies or something like that, books lately, uh, to prove that I'm literate. But no, today I'm just doing video games. So normally, you know, if people say, oh, you like Kirby, you should probably check out the Mega Man games, which yeah, absolutely check out the Mega Man games. But this is not the game where Kirby has a copy ability. So we're not going to be talking about Mega Man today. I'm going to be taking a different approach to it. So if you're looking for more relatively easy platforming games, I would suggest either of the Super Mario World games, uh, but especially Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island. Uh, I think that that is a great companion piece with Kirby because it also has this cutesy art style. Uh, I love the storybookish appearance of it all. I love the music in Yoshi's Island so much. God damn it, I love the music in Yoshi's Island so much. Uh, It's a fantastic game. Definitely check it out. 
If you haven't played it uh, before, uh, it's on the Switch Online SNES app, so it's at least available somewhere. Yeah, pretty easy, very cute, platforming. You're probably going to like it if you like Kirby and you want to check out more video games. And if you're looking for more Game Boy games to play uh, after enjoying Kirby's Dreamland or just after this discussion in general, let me recommend two that kind of go hand in hand with this uh, this episode. The first being uh, Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins. Uh, this is the sequel to Super Mario Land, which is, you know, fine. It's a, it's a Game Boy Mario game, pretty pretty rudimentary. But the second one really ups the, the production value, the visual design of everything. And it's the game that actually introduces Wario. So iconic for its own reasons. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun, it's a fun Mario game. Uh, it is definitely one to check out if you really want to see how far uh, the original Game Boy could really go in terms of putting platforming games on there. And we've talked about this game a bunch, you and I. It's obviously one of your favorite games because you've talked about it. Uh, I'm going to also recommend The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, specifically the Game Boy Color version DX, because, look, it's an incredible Game Boy game. It's probably the single best Game Boy game ever made, if I had to really look at it holistically. It is so specifically like its own unique thing within the Zelda franchise. It is an incredibly well-realized handheld game that is dense, but also short enough that you don't have to commit too much time to it. And like, again, my, my Twin Peaks love, Twin Peaks is all over this thing. I have to recommend it on that metrics too. And it also has Kirby in it. It's got Kirby as an enemy. That's right. How did I forget about that? Yeah, oh. there's, there's a lot of crossover references to uh, other Nintendo games in there. There's the Chain Chomp from Mario, for example. But yeah, Kirby is in the game. So perfect time to recommend that game. And you know, they never made any other game where you get to punch Kirby in the face. So. They never did. There's no yeah. game where you can specifically pick Link and have Kirby be hit repeatedly in the face over and over again. They never made another game like that. Specifically, Masahiro Sakura, the creative Kirby, never made another game like that. <laughs> um, yeah, but those are my recommendations. Uh, yeah, once again, that's uh, Super Mario World 2. Yoshi's Island, Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins, and The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening DX. All of these games can currently be played on Switch. Check it out when you have the chance. Chris, it was so wonderful to talk to you about this delightful little game. Thank you for coming onto my show. But before you go, please promote the hell out of yourself. Well, as I said before, you can find me mostly on Play Comics, where I grab a guest we look at a video game based on a comic and how well that game represents that source material. As we're recording this, I just put out an episode about Gundam 0079 side story, Rise from the Ashes, What the Fuck Barbecue, however they named it. I don't know. Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, why not? I don't know how long you take between recording and releasing, but how long do you take between? Uh, this will come out at the end of May. Okay. So obviously we've had some other episodes since then, you know, a look at the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Cowabunga collection, because why not break my rule of going roughly chronologically? You know, Golgo 13 because I missed it. So you get a nice thing there. And the good thing about Play Comics is that it is a very cherry pickable show, just like this one. So you can go in and say, oh, I like this game. I want to check that out. Or I want to check out all the Batman games and just listen to those. And, you know, there's always a little bit of continuity between things. But 
for the most part, you can just grab whatever episode and it can be your first episode and you're fine. But what I usually forget to tell people is that you can also find me on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., where a few other hosts and I talk about things that are just going on in the Marvel Universe. As we're recording this episode here, we are going through the Moon Girl cartoon that just came out. We may or may not have talked about Guardians of the Galaxy 3 already. And honestly, for the best time ever, go back and check out the episodes where we talked about the X-Men 97 cartoon or ask Kiefer for the link to where I put together all of the little segments where I got to say previously on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. And have a previously on with things completely taken out of context for jokes and stuff, because that is so much better than doing a serious. What did we talk about last time? Yeah, for sure. Chris, once again, great to have you on the show. Definitely check out his projects. Play comics is a lot of fun to listen to. And like I said, the, the, the cherry picking aspect of it is very, very welcoming because there's just so much to pick from. And there's a lot that he's talked about. So definitely check out his work. Before you go, Chris, one last question. Is there a single superhero you can think of that could beat Kirby? Probably not, because he could just eat them and take their ability and go. So what I would really love to see is Kirby versus Taskmaster, because they're both just based on, hey, let me copy what other people are doing. That's a great answer. Taskmaster, great character in Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Thank you, Chris for being on this episode and thank you so much for listening to this episode of select and start once again i am your host editor and promoter Kiefer. if you enjoyed this episode please give the show a positive review wherever you're listening to it engagement helps the show and your feedback will help improve it and if you want to get more engaged give the show a follow on twitter at select pod start if you have thoughts about kirby's dreamland or any other games we've discussed send a dm or leave a comment and i will gladly read it on the show you can also support me on patreon If you pledge at least $1 a month, you will get early access to new episodes as well as extended episodes with exclusive content. That is on patreon.com slash Kiefer's Corner. You can also follow me on Twitter at Danny Vegito and find links to the rest of my projects in the description of this episode. Select and Start is on the Moonshot Network, which is supported by its own Patreon. Find out more on moonshotpods.com. The art for the show is made by my best friend, Avery Ott. You can follow him on social media with the handle at Avery Robin Ott. That's A-V-R-Y Robin O-T-T. You can check out the links in the description for his work as well as Chris's. All right. I think that's it. Poyo. There it is. Man, working on that one for a while.